That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back. Tom Harmon here with you. And on the line with us is our old buddy, Lori Wallach. Lori is the executive director of Public Citizens Global Trade Watch. Tradewatch.org is the website. Also, citizen.org slash trade. Lori, what's your Twitter handle? Lori underscore Wallach. There you go. Lori underscore Wallach. And Lori, I read a story here that there is a lobbying group that was put together in the last few days, the last few weeks, specifically to lobby for Donald Trump's new reinvention of NAFTA, and that it's being funded by Big Pharma and Big Oil, um, among a few other big companies, uh, no consumer groups or anything like that. What does this tell us about what's going on? Well, folks, it's on. (laughs) I mean, it doesn't get much clearer than having Big Pharma and Big Oil lobbying not only to try and pass the agreement as is, but to get taken out the things that progressives won. So this lobby group, which has raised $5 million and says they're trying to raise $20 million, is trying to get the outrageous corporate investor state tribunal stuffed back into the NAFTA renegotiation. That's one of the things we want. Hmm. We got that out. They want to get longer giveaways for big pharma already as it is the agreement as is isn't worth supporting because it would do more damage (laughs) so the mission of progressives of the progressives in congress of the unions and the consumer groups environmental groups family farm and faith groups is to get the things we want delivered so isds out the mandatory natural resources exports language out that we won that we want to keep that We need to get rid of the new bad things that big pharma and big oil stuffed into NAFTA, like special new protections that would keep medicine prices high and lock in place those policies, or saving investor state just for oil and gas companies to attack some Mexican environmental laws. And then we need to get the stuff that wasn't finished done, and that stronger labor and environmental standards with strong enforcement which is what's necessary to stop the outsourcing. That's the mission, and that corporate lobby group is on the exact opposite mission. 
Do you think that it's going to occur to Trump supporters and Republicans that if the corporate lobbyists are amassing millions of dollars to push for Trump's uh, reinvention of NAFTA, he's calling it uh, something else, uh, Mexico, America Trade Agreement or whatever, that means that the average working person is going to get screwed or are they just, you know, saluting the flag, whatever Trump says? We have just finished focus groups and polling that shows that it becomes apparent that this deal is a deal for big pharma and for the big oil companies. That's the only issue that actually the Trump voters find suspicious. Like generally, by default, they think he's doing okay by trying to keep jobs from being outsourced. Like we know that's not true. Footnote, the big GM announcement of closing a bunch of American plants, having just opened some new ones in Mexico. But for whatever reason, his voters think he's doing fine by that. But the police, that their hackles come up is when they see big pharma and big oil as winners. And then they realize they're getting screwed in the NAFTA renegotiation. So to make this real, I mean, you know, bumper stickers always work well if you can attach actual numbers to them. They give credibility to claims, you know, like the Republicans saying, uh, oh, the Democrats only want 16,000 beds for criminal, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, How much will our pharmaceutical prices go up or will they go up in other countries if Trump's deal goes through? Do we have any idea? Yep. So here's the deal with that. Big Pharma did manage to stuff into the renegotiated NAFTA rules that would lock in place the policies that now make U.S. medicine prices unreasonably high. So the prices in our country, the question is, will the one thing the whole country is united on nationwide and across partisan divides, we've got to lower prices. Are Congress's hands going to be tied with NAFTA? that they can't do that. So number two, are we going to export our bad policies to Mexico and Canada? Already a lot of people get less expensive drugs from Canada. This would raise prices in Canada by creating new monopolies that the Canadian government have to give big pharma. And Mexico would get totally clobbered because they don't have any of these special goodies that the agreement would require every country to give. We have them. That's why our medicine prices are so lunatic, ridiculously high. So to get our prices down, we've got to get the stuff out of the agreement. And to make sure we don't raise prices in Mexico and Canada, we have to. And the good news is there is a lot of unity in the House of Representatives. And you have to get a trade agreement through the House, not just the Senate. And the House, unity amongst the Democrats who now have a majority. So this is really the pivot issue. If we can get this issue dealt with, that is critical for the president to get any agreement through Congress, which means he's going to have to deal with it if we make it a big deal. So it seems to me that NAFTA actually is a treaty. And, and, you know, the Constitution is very clear that treaties have to be passed with two thirds of the Senate. Um, It has to do with two different countries, us and, you know, or three in this case, uh, us, Canada and Mexico. It has to do with trade. I mean, this this is clearly laid out in the Constitution somewhere along the line. I think it was during the Nixon era. Congress said, well, we're not going to call these things treaties anymore. We're going to call them trade agreements. And therefore, instead of passing with two thirds of the Senate, which is a pretty high bar to reach, they can pass with a simple majority in the House and the Senate. Um, Am I am I wrong, Laurie, to think that this is still a scam, that this is still essentially unconstitutional and that, frankly, somebody should take this to the Supreme Court? 
Well, unfortunately, that decision basically happened around the turn into the 20th century. Uh. So, and it was legislated and locked in in the 1934 Reciprocal Tariffs Act. These agreements haven't been seen as treaties since the late 1800s, tariff agreements. And moreover, they've been seen as international executive agreements needing congressional approval statutorily since the 30s. Nixon definitely came up with a crafty way to lock in presidential power relative to Congress's power in making those kind of agreements. Th- so that was fast track, right? Nixon made it worse with fast track, exactly. Right. Right. But it was in the 30s that actually officially what basically ended this practice by 1900 became yeah. legislated. And yeah. I hate to tell you, politically, the Senate is a place that most trade agreements just go through like a luge run, no matter who has control of them. So there's never been a trade agreement stopped in the Senate. It's in the House, where members have to face their constituents in an election every two years, the trade agreements get stopped. So So last question, if if NAFTA, if this, uh, if Trump's version of NAFTA is Mexico, America, trade dealer, whatever you call it, um, if that is stopped, does that mean the NAFTA goes away, or does that mean that we still simply default back to the old NAFTA? So the way this is going to play out is, over the next couple of weeks, the Democrats in Congress are going to end up communicating to the administration, look, you made some progress and some things we've always wanted changed. But you put in this big pharma stuff, it's a non-starter, it's got to come out. You were not going to lock in high medicine prices and give big pharma big stops. And you still haven't done the right stuff completely on environmental and labor standards and enforcement to try and slow down the outsourcing and Mm. the transition of middle-class jobs in the U.S. to sweatshop jobs in Mexico. So, Mr. President, if you want to pass this trade agreement, it needs to go through the House. And if you want to get through the House, here are the things that have to happen. And then we'll see what the president does. If the president says, taking home my marbles, not going to play, then we could actually see a scenario where there would be an attempt to withdraw from NAFTA, which the president has the authority to do. The problem for him is that's not going to stop the outsourcing entirely, because unless there's an agreement that raises wages in Mexico, there's going to still be a big draw to outsource jobs. So the president really won't be delivering on his promises to stop the outsourcing if he just hands NAFTA. He really kind of has to work with the Democrats to make those changes to do the thing he promised on the campaign, or he's opening himself up to enormous attacks, just like you said, of being the half of big pharma and big oil. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm willing to start that right now. <laughs> Trump is the hack for big pharma and big oil. Lori Wallach, Executive Director of Public Citizens Global Trade Watch, tradewatch.org. Thank you, Lori. Thank you. Great talking with you, as always. A couple of other things in the political news. Got an email from Donald Trump this morning. Dear Fred, President, because I signed up as Fred Flintstone, President Trump hosted one of the most important rallies ever, all caps, in El Paso, Texas. Congress's critical deadline to fund the wall is in just three days. The president was disappointed your name wasn't on the first list of official Build the Wall members we sent him the other day. Our movement to build the wall started when the president took his famous escalator ride to announce his presidential campaign. Today is the day. You can be one of the American patriots that finished the job and built the wall. And there's this little graphic there that has, it's an animated GIF, so it scrolls. 
And it's like, member, Lana S, $105, status renewed. Member, Dorothy K, $55 gift, status renewed. Fred, $0 gift, status pending. Roger F, $35 gift, renewed. Lucas B, $42, renewed. Please contribute at least $42 by 11.59 p.m. tonight to become an official Build the Wall member and get on the list that we send to the president tonight. This guy is raising money on his racist wall. Ted Lieu tweeting, numbers don't lie. El Paso Fire Department crowd estimates. Trump, 6,500. Beto O'Rourke, 10 to 15,000. Some of the signs at the Beto rally. This is great. This uh, attack at posted this over at, uh, at DU, Democratic Underground. Without immigrants, Trump would have no wives. Except for Marla Maples. Right? He wouldn't have two out of, out of three. Stop pretending your racism is patriotism. Hate never made America great. And of course, Don Jr. did the warm-up for the crowd last night. And uh, he said, keep up that fight. Bring it to your schools. You don't have to be indoctrinated by these loser teachers that are trying to sell you on socialism from birth. Really? Our loser teachers are indoctrinating us with socialism? And finally, this uh, from Laura Clausen over the Daily Kos. What does Puerto Rico need with disaster relief anyway? You know, they're good, right? Same with California. So they had some wildfires. Texas, they had a flood. Well, we're going to leave. We're going to keep sending flood money to Texas. We're going to send them money to rebuild the, the disaster money, the FEMA money. Texas is going to get that. That's a red state. But California and Puerto Rico, we're going to take that money and use it to build the wall. This is the, this is the latest scam that Trump thinks he's come up with. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. And meanwhile, Donald Trump is tweeting, and this is, you know, Lawrence Tribe pointing out, the, Trump is saying, keep Latin Americans out of the U.S. This is white supremacy, pure and simple. Trump tweeted, open borders will potentially attract 42 million Latin Americans. This would be a disaster for the U.S. We need the wall now. Amazing. He's just coming right out and admitting it. So would you like to watch the Tom Harbin program, all three hours of our program, anytime you'd like? Patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Tom Hartman, T-H-O-M-H-A-R-T-M-A-N-N, all run together. When you become a supporter of the program through Patreon, you have access to the full three-hour show anytime you want, and special content that we put up every single week that is unique specifically to our Patreon page. So check it out, Patreon.com slash Tom Hartman. Thank you. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Everyone's talking about the decline in stock values over the last few months. If you've been listening to Lynette Zhang's YouTube show, you probably aren't surprised by the fall. Her fact-based research on markets, currencies, and economics is second to none. And her presentations have pointed to most every major downfall we've recently seen in the U.S. economy. Her video titled Just Before the Crash showed people the exact patterns to look out for and now has over 210,000 views and counting. Lynette Zhang has been on my show and works with my friends at ITM Trading. I highly recommend looking them up as they are pioneers in creating wealth protection strategies with gold and silver. If you're a strategic investor looking to protect your wealth or just hedge against the most volatile markets since 2007, then call my friends at ITM Trading at one own gold Ask for their free gold protection guide and join the top 1% who are now accumulating very specific types, dates, and qualities 
of physical gold and silver. Call 1-888-OWN-GOLD. That's 1-888-O-W-N-G-O-L-D. Congressman Mark Pocan is with us, the co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, kind of the head progressive guy or one of the two, along with Pramila Jayapal in the House of Representatives and represents the great state of Wisconsin. And his website, pocan.house.gov. You can tweet him at rep Mark Pocan, P-O-C-A. And Congressman, welcome back. Oh, thanks, Tom. Glad to be here. And thank you for joining us today. I'll, I'll be out of town tomorrow, and I, and I know that you had a change in airplane things and all kinds of stuff, and so this just kind of worked out for both of us. I'm, I'm so glad you could make it. Yeah, no, thank you. In fact, today I was supposed to be applying to John Dingle's funeral in Michigan. Debbie Dingle is a very good friend and a colleague, served with John my first session. And I guess, from what I understand, the flight, they didn't have enough seats for everyone. So all of a sudden I got bumped at about 6.08 last night by seniority. And then I heard the flight, when it went there today, couldn't land. So it had to return. So, oh, my. Uh, yeah, but our thoughts are definitely with the Dingle family and you know, Debbie Dingle is uh, one of the co-chairs of the Medicare for All Caucus and uh, a really uh, great colleague of mine. So yeah. We're, uh, definitely thinking about her and her family. Yeah, he, he dictated or, or wrote uh, a really thoughtful piece the day before he died. I mean, that just, that was extraordinary about, you know, America needing to come to, together and the, the strife that basically Trump has sown. I, mean, I don't recall if he named Trump. I don't think he did. Yeah, and he's had an amazing Twitter account that, you know, he's 92, he was 92, and yeah. you know, he yeah. kept that up himself. But anyway, that's where I was supposed to be, but uh, very glad to be here today with, with everyone. Congressman, I'm seeing I, just a couple of things here in the news. Uh, Laura Clausen over the Daily Kos writing, the headline kind of says it all. White House plans to strip disaster relief from California and Puerto Rico, but not Texas, to build Trump's wall. What do you think about that? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think uh, hopefully by later today we will have some sort of response from the White House on the supposed deal that negotiators came to last night. To be perfectly honest, the details I have are what I'm reading in press accounts. We haven't been given any more details. I saw that already Sean Hannity and some conservative Republicans were knocking it, so that means there may be something good in it. But um, my guess, and this is just my guess, this is not coming from our caucus or anywhere else, is that um, you know he may very likely not accept it because he wants another short-term CR uh, followed by another short-term CR followed by another short-term CR so that we're constantly, in his opinion, tied up and not able to do oversight and that we're constantly negotiating with uh, him and Republicans over this. What he doesn't understand is we've got plenty of committees that are doing oversight that have nothing to do with the negotiations, so things are going to continue. But I think this is part of his strategy to make it so that we're not talking about the Mueller report or any of his staff that have been indicted or flipping on him. I, uh, I would view that as a media strategy. You know, I mean, this is a guy right. who did a, a reality TV show every week for 11 years. He understands how important it is to reset the show, you know, every week. You know, you've got to restart everything. And so if he can keep us in a constant state of anxiety, confusion, and discussion about his wall, um, number one, he keeps you know, feeding racism to his base, which is pretty breathtaking. And number two, he distracts us from discussing the fact that he's putting lobbyists in charge of the EPA and the Interior Department, that they're raping our lands, that they're robbing our working people, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it's just, it, it, it seems like it hadn't occurred to me what you just suggested, that he wants to have CR, continuing resolutions, you know, every other week or something like that into the, the distant future. But now that I think about it, it makes so much sense. 
Yeah, I just think there's a possibility. Again, this is not a mainstream thought here in Washington. This is my opinion from watching how he operates. The fact that Republicans, the reason they came to a deal is because Republicans still understand that we don't need money for a while. Don't forget, it's their language in the last appropriations bill that specifically said no money, essentially no money could go to any designs after March of 2017, which is when his designs came out for the wall. And as I understand it, we don't have this 100% yet, but what I understand it is the language in this, again, says that the money that is appropriated can only go towards what we previously appropriated for, for fencing and things like that. He's still not getting his wall. Um, they even know it's a dumb idea to waste taxpayer dollars on the wall. So, you know, he's got a, even a fight among, I think, some of the more traditional Republicans. But for him, I think there's a whole other strategy. Is he's just trying to keep the narrative away from what he doesn't want to talk about, keep us tied up, he thinks, to some degree, to not do all the hearings. We'll see what happens. I think we'll know by the end of today. Yeah. Donald Trump tweeted on February 10th, quoting from a Gallup poll, quote, open borders will potentially attract 42 million Latin Americans, end quote. This would be a disaster for the U.S. We need the wall now. He's just coming right out now and saying that his problem is not immigrants, it's Latin Americans. How does it get more racist than that? No, you can't. Well, I mean, I guess you get in full gear. <laughs> but uh, short of that, I don't know. I mean, all of the comments around this are, are deeply embedded in a racist message. It's, a, it's more than a dog whistle. It's, it's a huge dog horn to his base, and they get it, and that's why he was just down at the border again trying to appeal to that portion. But again, everything he said last night, you know, if you talk to Veronica Escobar, who took Beto's seat, who represents El Paso, or you talk to Beto O'Rourke, for that matter, who had a competing rally last night, now, El Paso is one of the safest cities uh, in Texas, and it's at the border, and it happened before any kind of protections were put in place. It's because of how the city is designed. It runs very smoothly between the Mexico and U.S. sides and how things operate. So Donald Trump, again, just went down there and lied to people. And right. I'll never forget when one of the other rallies he had a couple um, rallies ago, and someone woman in the upper Midwest, actually in Minnesota, said, oh, they may try to break into my winter home. Because they believe his rhetoric that they're trying to sneak up here and hide when in reality, I don't know many people who want to come across the border and sneak into a frozen lake home in Minnesota. But that is the fear that he's instilling in people, and that's how he gains his power. So it's for every wrong, evil, terrible reason he does these things, which makes it you know, really hard to take him very seriously. Yeah, and just for the record, because I never heard it on TV this morning, and, and I watched several hours of it, uh, according to the El Paso Fire Department, Trump's crowd was 6,500, Beto's was 15,000. So, just for the record. Anyhow, we've got literally callers from coast to coast uh, here wanting to talk to you, so let's uh, let's start middays with Mark here with Russ in Hickory Hills, Illinois, listening to WCPT. Russ, here on the air. Hi, yes, thanks for taking my call, Mr. Pocan. What I wanted to ask you is, going forward, what is the message going to be to counteract this uh, socialist and far left that I'm always hearing out of Chris Christie and what's the guy from Ohio, Kasich? They're trying to say we're so far left that we can't be talked to, that the right is now the center. How are you guys going to counteract this message? And Donald Trump's going to pick it up pretty soon. Yeah, you know, actually, we've been trying to use a different narrative among the Progressive Caucus because when people talk about moving to the center, it usually isn't really representative of the center. The center of the country on values is things like Medicare for all, is things like debt-free college. It's things that when you poll, the majority of the people support, and that is 
the progressive issues that we're talking about, negotiating for better prescription drug prices for Medicare. I mean, those are all mainstream ideas, and that's where we have to argue. That is the center uh, when you hit where the majority of people want to be, and it's not this false narrative. I mean, it's very clear they're trying to use socialism. They must have had uh, Frank Luntz somehow go out there, and there's just a way if they say it right they can scare people because, again, everything they do is about fear. Because, um, you know, Cheney, uh, on the day that, um, uh, Liz, Cheney, uh, not, get her name even, the first name, uh, Cheney. Yeah, Liz Cheney. Yeah. yeah, Liz, thank you. Um, she, on the day that Nancy Pelosi was in, brought up socialism in her remarks, and the president did it at the State of the Union. So clearly, they're trying to spin a very, very false narrative. When we're saying, again, if you want the center of the country, 70% of the people support Medicare for all, including 52% of Republicans. That is... The, the center of the country. And we have to change that debate so that those issues are considered centrist issues because they are based on the popularity of the public. Yeah, and that's just going to require a lot of repeating, I think. Absolutely, absolutely. And, it's, and we're going to be doing a lot more polling this year to help drive that message home as well. As that's great. Talk. And welcome back. Janet in Mount Vernon, Washington. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. I have a question about the renegotiation of NAFTA, which is going on, and my understanding is that, at least according to Public Citizen, they had a, a lengthy article in their, their last issue, and being steered primarily by the oil companies and pharmaceuticals, and the pharmaceutical part is, I can tell you personally, I take a very expensive drug, and I order it from Canada, and my fear is that, A, they're going to stop the importation of drugs from Canada, and B, that basically the also the other part is that they don't really want to lower drug prices, the pharmaceuticals. They want everyone else to pay more, but this is where you come in because it, this has to go through the House. So what I want to know is what is the House doing to stay on top of this so that the price of pharmaceuticals, which at least some people at this point can actually get for a reasonable cost by importing them through Canada, that this is just not going to become a big, big mess. And, and Congressman, if I could add, we had Lori Wallach on the program talking about this. She is the director or whatever her title is, the big cheese over at Global Trade Watch, tradewatch.org. And Boy, if you ever need uh, an expert or somebody to talk to about this issue or any of the trade issues, she is top of the list. Yeah, I know Lori very, very well. She's from Great. Wisconsin, my home state. So, oh, uh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. so we go back, and uh, we work with her very closely. In fact, I was going to let Janet know there's probably two major flaws right now that we try to highlight about this, you know, barely different NAFTA because it's not all that different. The president, again, is flying on that, but I know no one's surprised. Uh, one part of it is... There are marginally better labor protections, but there's no enforcement of them. So without that, the, that's meaningless language, the marginal improvements that are there. The second part is on this, where they've made it so that some types of pharmaceuticals uh, have longer um, protection periods than they currently did, and some other parts of this that are going to be detrimental to how we are, are trying to do right now with pharmaceutical drugs. I mean... A big fight we have right now is trying to be able to negotiate for cheaper drug prices through Medicare. We've got a number of other provisions. You're going to see a bill from the Democrats coming out very soon on prescription drugs. And this runs completely counter to that. So those are two major problems with that. We're very aware of those, Janet. We're working with public citizens, specifically Lori Wallach, and the unions and the environmental groups and the consumer groups on this. And I think right now it would have a hard time passing through Congress 
and it has to before it ever becomes law. So even when the president says this is how he's going to pay for the wall, that's not true because it's not law yet, and it's going to have a hard time passing Congress in its current form. Well, plus it's not going to generate that much extra revenue. Congressman, we just have 30 seconds to the break. How do you see Democrats using this issue? I mean, Sherrod Brown has been using this issue for years and years very effectively to, to win re-election in Ohio and to actually try to move the needle, too. He just hasn't had a lot of support, uh, you know, either from the Republicans or from kind of the old Bill Clinton faction of the Democratic Party. You know, this issue helps us put a major hole in Donald Trump's narrative about what he said about trade and what he says about prescription drug prices. Dan in New Baltimore, Michigan. Dan, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Well, hi, Tom, uh, and uh, hello, uh, Congressman Pocan. My question is, if or when there's a market crash and they go to bail out the banks, if they do that again, I've read something about, it's called a, a bail, a buy-in or a bail-in. Is that something that I should be concerned about? Uh, you know what I'm talking about? No, I don't, Dan. Congressman, this is a, uh, uh, it's... I believe it's in the law now. There was a big debate about it in 2009 or 2010 about changing the banking laws to basically establish that your deposits with a bank, if you have a savings account with a bank, right now that's considered your property and the bank has to book it as a liability, that they would change that so that the banks could book it as an asset, which means that if the bank is going down in flames before they take money from the federal government, they would first take money from their depositors. They would take your money, which is exactly what happened prior to 1932, and it's why the laws were changed in 32. And I frankly don't know for sure if that passed or not, but the, it was being pushed really hard by a number of people uh, who were working on, you know, uh, on behalf of the banks in Congress back in the day. Yeah, I, I think I would say this, um, Dan, to you. One, just from what I've heard about when people were around during the Dodd-Frank passage, a lot of people uh, believe bailing out banks cost the Democrats the majority, um, that uh, people are going to be very cautious about doing anything too uh, overtly um, uh, supportive of financial institutions and consumers. I don't think you'll have that happen because of the past experience. And second, I look at the Financial Services Committee now, and, uh, you know, Maxine Waters is the chair, AOC, Rashida Tlaib, number of really good folks, Katie Porter, I mean, go down the list. It's a really strong committee of progressives. I think that would be very difficult to see happen. So while I, I understand your concerns now, I, I just don't see that necessarily as being a realistic option. Pat in Yakima, Washington, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hey, it's very, very difficult these days to recycle. You cannot recycle glass. If you have a printer, you cannot gift it. No charity will take it. There's no recycling for it. Is anyone addressing this? Pat, I don't know, because generally this has been something that depends a little bit on the locality and the community on how extensive the recycling is. You know, I know in Madison, Wisconsin, for example, we have a very, very extensive recycling program and still accept lots of different types of materials. Some things that are fairly common, like corrugated plastic, there's some major centers around the country that can take it, but that's why not everyone does recycle that material because it's not done locally. But I, I don't know if there's a national solution that's been proposed on it, and I don't know about your locality's specific uh, situation. Lowell in Salem, Oregon. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Uh, hello, Congressman Pocan and, and Tom. Um, I have um, a big concern uh, with retirements in America. You know, over half the working population age 55 to 64 have zero saved for retirement. And I was wondering if the Democrats had some 
plan to help those immediately in danger of uh, living in extreme poverty. Even if the majority of them are Trump supporters. Thank you, Lowell. Yeah, I'll tell you, Lowell, this is something we talk about quite often. We've talked about just last week with Nancy Pelosi, a number of us who meet with her weekly, that we need a retirement plan in this country. It's not just the fix for the central states fund, which is a multi-employer fund that's you know putting a lot of people at jeopardy. But as you pointed out, half the people in the country uh, have uh, Social Security and their home. About a third, or maybe it's up to 40%, no, I think it's about a third of the people just have Social Security to rely on. And that's really not enough to get by in most uh, situations. Um, uh, another interesting statistic, about tw- about one out of every eight people has 200,000 uh, even going into retirement, which again, these days isn't a whole lot, especially as people are living longer and longer. So this is something that we do need to have a bigger national uh, solution. We're talking about ways to try to get to that. Uh, there's not an immediate plan that I can say this is the best example of what's out there, uh, but we certainly are very, very uh, cognizant that this is one of those unaddressed issues that we need to put on the table for working families to make sure that people can retire in dignity. You're listening to Tom Hartman. My friends at X-Chair are at it again, constantly tinkering to make an already superior product even better so you can work in even more comfort and be that much more productive. Now you can enhance your X-Chair's performance and protect your floors with incredible X-Wheel blade casters. These urethane wheels are driven by butter-smooth, whisper-quiet ball bearings and are built to last. As if the X-Chair isn't comfortable enough, now you can add a set of X-Wheels and take your performance to the next level. Take advantage of X-Chair's new financing option and pay as little as $30 a month. Seriously, for less than the cost of a daily cup of coffee, you can take your comfort and productivity into the stratosphere by getting yourself an X-Chair. X-Chair is on sale now for $100 off. Just go to xchairtom.com now. That's xchairtom.com or call 1-844-4X-Chair. X-Chair comes with a 30-day, no questions asked, guarantee of complete satisfaction. Go to xchairtom.com now and use the code TOM for a free footrest. That's xchairtom.com, xchairtom.com. Pam in Fort Collins, Colorado. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. I had a quick suggestion for low regarding the retirement. A simple solution is just raise the cap on Social Security, and then it's solvent for the foreseeable future, and we can increase our benefits going out. Just a thought. But that was not my question. <laughs> I wanted to thank you both for what you do in giving us a opportunity to have a voice. I had a comment about all the investigations going on in the Mueller investigation, and now I'm grateful the Dems are getting into it. My concern is, are we going to hold these people to account? I really believe we need to create a system where we have the people at the top are held to much higher standards, and that's not the case. Because you see some of these characters coming up over and over again throughout history, creating these crimes over and over again, such as Manafort, Flynn, Elliot, Abrams, Barr. If we had held them to account way back in the era when they first started these kind of 
criminal activities, we wouldn't be where we are today, I don't think. Um, Also, I think if we held them to serious account by giving them prison time and making them have financial consequences, you're creating a general deterrence for the rich and the elite. And again, you're keeping them from continuing that activity. And as an example, because I think the justice system, not only do we have a problem with inequality as far as finances, but also the justice system, Reality Winner's mother wrote a brilliant letter about her daughter with regards to Flynn being not, you know, recommending no jail time. And here her daughter is sitting in prison for trying to alert the American public by releasing one page document, is my understanding, that the Russians were interfering with our election. And this poor young woman is being abused psychologically and physically through solitary confinement, while Flynn, who did these horrible things and tax evasion and all kinds of stuff and polluting with foreign governments, hostile governments in many cases, it looks like, is being recommended no jail time. So I think in this case, as we go through this process, I am concerned that it's going to be elephants all the way down. I think the Republicans, they're heavily involved in this, and that's why it speaks to their strange behavior and blocking the oversight. So my question is, what are Mueller and the Democrats doing to hold these members of Congress to serious account and not just these slap on the hands or public humiliation, but really putting them in the prison system that they've created to profit on? Thanks, Pam. First of all, real quick, when Lowell was talking, I think he's talking bigger than just Social Security. I I agree with you. If you lift the cap, you can uh, keep Social Security alive for well over 75 years. But still, that's a relatively low amount of money. And we need to actually address retirement and retirement savings and issues around that to give full dignity to folks. I just wanted to add that because I I do think it's important because it is a bigger issue than just Social Security. Um, Specifically, uh, Pam, you know, Mueller, we don't know exactly all the details. I think when you see sometimes they say no jail time, it's because they're getting something else out of them, more information to go after someone usually higher up the food chain, and that's what we're waiting to see. So I can't speak for Mr. Mueller and some of what he's doing, but generally that is a tactic to get more information uh, from folks who maybe had more ability to to drive orders, and uh, that's part of why maybe the president doesn't want us talking about all the people that he's hired who've been indicted, because that's an issue. Um, I do agree that I think one thing I have noticed is that often, um, especially when a member of Congress gets in trouble, uh, all they simply have to do uh, once they get brought into an ethics investigation is resign and the investigation ends. And that doesn't seem proper because then somehow average people are more accountable to a criminal justice system than people who are maybe in a privileged position. Anthony in San Jose, California, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hey, Mr. I know you're from uh, Wisconsin there, and I know that Scott Walker had his deal with the unions and kind of disintegrated them. I want to know what the people in Wisconsin that work in that sector and what the people that deal with that sector feel about that situation, because I am a public sector worker, and I'm concerned about the Janice uh, situation or decision. I'm sorry. Great question, Anthony. So, you know, ask me, a public employee union, uh, was created in Madison, Wisconsin. I actually did a paper in college on it. I went into the archives and found all kinds of stuff. So we have a rich history of that. And Scott Walker, you're exactly right. did everything he could to destroy public employee unions. And then also private sector unions as well, because we became a right-to-work state, and then he started messing around with prevailing wage laws. So uh, no one is happy uh, with that. It has had a negative effect. A lot of people, uh, good, talented people, left uh, public service because of that. Teachers had 
50% decline in people applying to the School of Education at the University of Wisconsin-Madison to become teachers, which is unfortunate. Maybe good news I can offer out of this is while Wisconsin happened early, as we saw these attacks in preparing for the Janus decision that really continued to hurt public employee unions, they got better and ready for it. And when I talked to Randy Weingarten from AFT, for example, uh, they've had a very small drop in the last uh, year after Janus in membership because they were prepared for it and they were talking to their members and had conversations. So we still need to do much more to give people their uh, a voice in their workplace through collective bargaining rights. But fortunately, I think the unions did get ready for Janus and, and we're not seeing quite the decline that I think the Republicans had hoped, whether it be Janus or had these actions by people like Scott Walker. Patricia in Portage, Wisconsin, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. I write a column for the Capital Times for wildlife and life in general, and I'm concerned that the Progressive Caucus is not taking on moving us to a plant-based diet to save this planet because it is half of climate change. It is destroying the Amazon. We are losing species from all ends of the spectrum. Insects are plummeting. Large mammals are going. The whole system is and we need to change this now. I mean, we don't have time anymore, and, and we need to be less cruel. We need to end slaughterhouses. We need leadership now. So I'm hoping that you'll take this on and educate yourself and, and get involved in it. Well, uh, thanks, uh, Patricia. I, I can tell you that I think between a couple of things happening, one, Democrats taking the majority, and now we have committees, with jurisdiction doing things around climate change because we actually believe the science of like 98% of the scientists. Second, there is a special committee formed to deal with climate change that's been uh, now populated with members and will start convening. And third, uh, the New Green Deal was released last week with a lot of prominent progressive caucus members behind it. And that is not uh, necessarily prescriptive of all the details, but it opens up what we all need to do to figure this out in a relatively short amount of time, which could include uh, the subject you brought up and a lot of other subjects in this area. So I think the good news is there's much happening on this front that hasn't happened at least for the last six years. I've been in Congress. You know, Hopefully we can take some of these ideas, have the presidential candidates take some and really address climate change as it needs. You know, the USDA has always uh, responded to essentially lobbying from the meat and dairy industry to put meat and dairy on the food pyramid and all that kind of stuff. And now we're seeing that basically they've been scamming us for the last 50, 60 years. Do you think that Congress might toss some money in to research plant-based diets and reorganize the, the food pyramid and stuff like that? Just basic recommendations for our school kids? Yeah, potentially. I mean, because, you know, I think one of the things also, there's been some really powerful documentaries just in the last couple of years around both the, the plant-based diet, about sugar, about a number of things that are health concerns that have had impact from lobbying. And, you know, one extra thing I just think I just got to throw out, Tom, is you got now about 10% of the members of the House of Representatives not taking corporate PAC money. So where all those lobbyists used to come in and, you know, people had events and raised lots of money from, uh, that's not happening for a good chunk of Congress, and that's going to help you. Yeah, that's a really good thing. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. We'll be back with more of your calls for Congressman Pocan in just a moment here on the True People's Media, the Tom Hartman Program. Grace in Glendale, California, watching on Free Speech TV. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Uh, Congressman, my question is regarding income inequality. I work in a 
university, it's nonprofit. The vast majority of the work that we do is funded by government grants. However, all the money is still going to the top, and the director is making millions while lots of staff are living below the poverty line. And I'm just wondering what can be done in Congress about this, if there's a, a way to cap the percentage between the amount that the people in the top are making and the people at the bottom, or if, if that, for whatever reason, isn't going to work, then what Congress can do to address dealing with this kind of what I think is an abuse of government funding. Yeah, it's a great, uh, great question. I think, you know, one of the things Leader Pelosi has been very serious about as she talks to us this session is that we want to deal with income inequality in a substantive way. And I, I, she doesn't exactly lay out how if that's going to be a special committee, if we're going to have a special focus. But every time we meet as a, a group, as a progressive caucus leaders with some of the other caucus leaders, this issue comes up. So it is absolutely going to be a part of what we're pushing. You know, one bill that I did when I was a state legislator in the Wisconsin legislature that I believe Barbara Lee uh, has right now, which is a bill to limit the tax deductions for excessive salaries. So uh, I think what the bill does is you can uh, deduct from taxes your CEO compensation up to 25 times the lowest paid employee. Um, but if you want to pay them more, you can do that, but you can't uh, deduct it from your taxes. And that's one vehicle I know that we can do to try to address it. And I think Congressman Sabo originally had that years ago from Minnesota, and now Barbara Lee picked it up. Uh, that, that is an example of what we can do. So I think there's plenty of other measures, but this is certainly on people's radar screens as we're talking about tax rates on the top. Um, it, it's also, and I would argue, almost more important that we're talking about how you lift the wages for those on the bottom and how you address the, the whole disparity in the top salaries and bottom salaries. I, I think you're going to get a lot of that in the coming months. Fritz in Palm Desert, California. A quick one. Uh, watch this on YouTube. Quick one for Congressman Pocan. We have about a minute and 15 seconds. Yes, thank you, Tom. Congressman Pocan, I'd like to suggest that perhaps because we know that the Republican Senate won't touch H.R. 1, that the House resubmit re a bill and attach the $5.7 billion that Trump wants for his ineffectual wall. That way we get things that the country really needs, and he gets his silly wall. Yeah, I think the only flaw with that, Fritz, is even Republicans think it's a silly wall. <laughs> it's only the president, and I don't even know if he believes it. He just does it for his, his racist part of his base. So I, the problem is, as we see with the negotiations right now, Senate Republicans aren't fighting for a wall either because they know it's a waste of money. So I get your point. Uh, what I can tell you on H.R. 1 is uh, if they don't take it up, we're going to break it up into pieces and send it that way. We're not stopping with just a single bill going out there. We know we've got to clean up Washington. That seems like a real winner in terms of publicity and, and promotion, if you can get any kind of news coverage of it. it. That's exactly the point, Tom. It's also about education. Stephen in Albany, California, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hi, guys. I'm with Physicians for National Health Program, both nationally and here in California, as well as back in the day, Tom, you might remember the joint issue in the planting. But my question is, is as far as Jayapal's bills, uh, single-payer bills concerned, it's our understanding that it's going to allow for large for-profit institutions to be uh, providers of care, which is a big concern because they're more interested in profit, just like the insurance companies are, than they are in caring people. I'm wondering if you know anything about why those institutions are still in the bill. So, Stephen, I can tell you this. I have not seen the final language 
But I can tell you, the bill is going to parallel closer to what Bernie Sanders' bill was in the Senate than what the previous bill was in the House. Uh, there were a number of uh, problems because that bill had been written well over a decade ago that were making it unwilling, not realistic that it was going to pass. So the bill is mirroring the Senate bill much closer. We're trying to put one big idea out there for the presidential candidates to talk about. Um, but, you know, the Medicare uh, system um, is something that is wildly popular, and I think, you know, basing it on the Medicare system is what um, I-, I think ultimately will be the easiest uh, and best way to move forward a single-payer system. So I-, I think she's doing a great job on talking to all the interested parties on this. I know there are a few folks who just want to keep the old bill, but I'm telling you, the old bill won't pass. So if you want uh, health care in a single-payer uh, format, uh, getting on to with what Bernie Sanders uh, has in the Senate and she's going to have in the House is the way to go. Charles, Nopalaka, Florida. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hi, good, mo- good afternoon, Congressman Pocan. I'm calling because I want to know, do you at least look at it like these Republicans, no matter what, they want to get rid of all our social services as far as Social Security, um, you know, go down the line, whether it's housing for poor people or food stamps. And I believe once you introduce this wall, it's just going to be never-ending funding to go towards the wall where one of these days we're going to have to make the decision, you know, food stamps to the wall, security or, or, or helping the poor people. And I just don't think... We get that as Democrats because there's no way in the world I would like to get Donald um, Trump off the hook right now. And by trying to compromise with him in any way, we're stopping him. I mean, we're stopping, you know, the rest of the country from seeing the fraud that's being, that's being taking place in the highest office in our land. Yeah, so Charles, I believe what you're referring to is the, the deal that's being proposed. We haven't seen the exact language uh, of it. We've seen what, how it's been uh, reported by the press. Uh, from what I can tell from those reports, is it is essentially the same amount of money that was in the last appropriations for things that aren't the wall. Um, and uh, we were trying to deal with some of the detention bed issues because clearly uh, those conditions are terrible. There's cheaper and better, more efficient ways to do it. Um, I, I do think that you know this is Donald Trump's white whale. Uh, I don't think you know there are Republicans who st- support it strongly, but when you talk privately, uh, they realize this is a boondoggle. Uh, that this isn't going to solve anything, and that this is a waste of money. And while they still may want to trim other programs back uh, that match their ideology, I don't think that there's an organized effort by Republicans in swapping dollars from public assistance to uh, the wall. I think this is Donald Trump made a terribly stupid campaign promise, trying to live up to it to keep parts of his base, the more racist parts, happy. And, uh, you know, again, we don't know what the president's going to say because I watched uh, during the break him back and forth on this issue. It's it's impossible to understand where this guy stands on anything until he's told, I think, by uh, Fox News where he's going to stand. But from what I can tell right now, I don't think uh, that's exactly what the compromise is, as you represented. I don't think the Republicans are looking to do that. In our last 10 seconds here, Congressman, what should we look for this coming week? Uh, Clearly, whatever the president does by probably today on this deal. I don't think there'll be a shutdown. I think it's next to possible, but um, it could be another short-term resolution. We could have some sort of a deal. Watch for that. It will determine a lot. Great. Okay. Thank you so much for being with us this week. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Tom. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Always great having you on. Congressman Mark Pocan, pocan.house.gov, and you can tweet him at Rep Mark Pocan.
When was the last time you replaced your toothbrush? Do you always brush twice a day for a full two minutes? You know, paying attention to these good habits has a huge impact on your health. Introducing Quip, it's spelled Q-U-I-P, the new electric toothbrush that helps to fix the brushing habits that most of us get wrong. Quip does this with a lightweight and sleek design, simple time vibrations, and guiding pulses to give you a perfect two-minute clean. Bulkier electric brushes have awkward charging stands, modes you don't need, and cost five times as much. Quip starts at just $25, and you can get brush head refills automatically delivered on a dentist-recommended three-month schedule for only five bucks, and shipping's free. Quip has been featured in GQ, Oprah's O-List, and Time Magazine named it one of the best inventions of the year. So go to getquip.com slash Tom, T-H-O-M, right now and get your first refill pack free with a Quip electric toothbrush. That's your first refill pack free at getquip.com slash Tom. It's spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash T-H-O-M. Getquip.com slash Tom. So let's check in with Talk Media News and find out what's going on in the world today. This report brought to you by GoatsfortheOldGoat.com and Loving What You Do, Ellen Ratner's new book. On the line with us is the chief foreign correspondent for Talk Media News, joining us from the U.N. headquarters in New York, Luke Vargas. You can hear his two-minute podcast or news summary every day by just Googling uh, his name, Luke Vargas, or plugging it into wherever you get your podcasts. Luke, welcome to the program. Glad to be with you. Glad to have you. A couple of economic indicators are starting to pop up. I saw this piece in uh, the Washington Post today. The headline kind of says it all. A record, and it literally is a record, uh, 7 million Americans are three months behind in their car payments, a red flag for the economy. This is even worse than during the Great Recession in 2008, 2009. And I understand that there's a few others. What's going on here? So the sort of good news first, and then we'll get to the bit you just talked about. You hear this morning we're learning 7.3 million Job openings were advertised in December, which is a record high over any point over the last two decades. So that's a good sign. And you are seeing this sort of phenomenon for about the last 12, 13 months now, where typically the number of job openings is far lower than the number of people who are unemployed. That has reversed. And so you do, you know, have an environment which at least theoretically should lead or, you know, has in the past led to higher wage growth, which is that, you know, these in order to fill these 7.3 million jobs, employers will need to uh, increase what they're paying. People, which historically is the point at which the Fed freaks out and raises interest rates. I mean, the Alan Greenspan yeah. famously said that his most important job as chairman of the Fed was to maintain a certain, and I quote, minimum necessary level of worker insecurity, end quote. Exactly. Well, but you haven't really been seeing that inflationary pressure. I mean, you, you're right. seeing the wage growth over the last years that it should be over 4% is what I'm told for this kind of low unemployment rate, but it's only been holding around 3%. So clearly this money's not getting plowed to workers. Sort of the, the sad bit about this otherwise good statistic. I mean, and the one that you referenced, the 7 million Americans now are 90 plus days behind on their auto loan payments. You're right. It's the highest since the financial crisis. Millennials are a really concerning trend here. They're the fastest rising cohort who are falling behind in their payments. Evidence, I think, pretty clearly that this gig economy really isn't giving any many people, especially young people, the financial security. Oh, wow. I, you know, I wonder, Luke, how many how many of these people who are behind on their car payments are uh, people who bought a car to do an, an Uber or a Lyft gig? Wow. And then they discovered that they couldn't make it and they can't pay their... I'll bet that had a huge impact on this. I'll That's a that... great question. I would be really curious to dig into that. I didn't see that in any of the coverage today, but yeah, maybe that number I. exists. And, and then finally, I'll just say, you know, this all is sort of in the background. I, I just keep worrying about the 
student loan bubble, which is $1.5 trillion now. There was a really interesting Fed report last month, and data on these things takes years to put together. So this is a 2014 data they're looking at. But they assessed 2014 and said that, you know, among people I think who are under 35, who, who they consider young people, 400,000 people in the U.S. should have been owning homes in 2014, but could not because of high levels of student debt. That that is, right. a, you know, we're just seeing less equity building up. So, you know, my grand takeaway is you probably hear the president talking about that seven, three million job openings. There's a much bleaker picture behind the scenes when you start factoring in student loan and housing problems and just sort of in general debt levels and a lack of wage growth. It's not pretty. Yeah. Meanwhile, John Bolton has come out and said, spies, we don't need no stinking spies. I don't care what our intelligence agencies say. Or words to that effect? Do I have that right? Yeah, you could write speeches for him. (laughs) There was a White House video last night marking the 40th anniversary of the Islamic Revolution in Iran. And Bolton quotes here saying, Iran continues to seek nuclear weapons to intimidate peaceful people all over the globe and make ballistic missiles as a delivery system, end quote. I mean, this is just such a direct contradiction of what the director of national intelligence told Congress last month, you know, every public official other than these White House officials who are in the intelligence community basically are saying there's no evidence Iran is doing any of the enrichment that would lead to creation of a weapon. It's worth pointing out Iran has threatened that if it does not receive the economic benefits that the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, the nuclear deal, were meant to bring about, that they would consider returning to an enrichment pathway that could create a bomb, but they're not doing that now. And this is a blatantly false claim from a White House that seems pretty willing to push the envelope and risk creating you know, rising tensions or, God forbid, even a war with Iran. It's just amazing to keep hearing these false claims. Yeah, it truly is. And uh, the World Health Organization warning about hearing loss among young people. Is this from listening to music on iPod kind of things? You nailed it. They said over a billion young people are at risk of hearing loss, debilitating hearing loss from headphones in particular, gaming and music. Currently, 466 million people suffer from debilitating hearing loss. Could swell to 900 million people by 2050, which is one in 10 people around the world. It's not a very sexy issue, but it's actually pretty cool what they're doing here behind the scenes. They're trying to work with, and the reason they haven't announced this until now is because they wanted to get these partnerships up and running, but they're working with Apple and other manufacturers to basically create internal software on phones to study your listening habits and volume habits and figure out a way to sort of train ears to be receptive to music at lower levels. That's greatly necessary. The the big problem we have right now, there's a piece about this in the New York Times last weekend, is called loudness. And that is where normally you have peaks and valleys in music, but now they're Mm -hmm. raising the valleys so that even though the peaks aren't any higher, which is what gets clipped by a volume control, the average is so much higher that it's damaging the eardrums. Luke Vargas with Talk Media News. Thank you, Luke. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Yep. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Tom Hartman here with you. We just had Congressman Mark Pocan taking your calls. It was fascinating. I think one of the most important things that I got out of it, one of the things that I thought was, oh, yeah, was somebody called and asked him, you know, is, is 
Trump ever going to get enough wall and, you know, what's going to make him happy and what are you guys going to do and all that kind of stuff. And, and Congressman Pocan said that basically Trump's doing a reality TV show. You know, he's sucking up the news cycle. Keep us from talking about Mueller and keep us from talking about the corruption inside the administration, you know, putting lobbyists in charge of interior and a lobbyist in charge of EPA and all that kind of stuff. And a lobbyist in charge of the, the FCC and the crimes of the Trump crime family. It's, you know, so if every week Congressman Pocan said was he thinks that, you know, every, every couple of weeks he wants to have a new continuing resolution so that there's always this drama. You know, is the government going to shut down? How far away from it are we? What's Trump going to do? And so that Donald Trump gets his name in the beginning of every story in the news every single day of the year. I mean, that's just always been the goal of his life, and that's what he's continuing to do. Our quote for the day is from Robert Reich. He says, anyone who has a billion dollars either exploited a monopoly that should have been broken up got inside information unavailable to other investors, bribed some politicians, or inherited the money from their parents who did one of the above. Back to picking up your phone calls here. Jeff in Portland, Oregon, listening on X-Ray FM. Hey, Jeff, what's up? Hey, Tom, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, always good to hear from Congressman Pocan. And you guys were talking about whether Trump will accept the spending deal. And I just wanted to point out that along with your article on abolishing, your excellent article on abolishing the Electoral College, Common Dreams over the weekend also posted a piece written by David Dan from In These Times, and it was titled, quote, Meet the Militant Flight Attendant Leader Who Threatened a Strike and Helped Stop Trump's Shutdown, unquote. And I just read, Tom, that last year more American workers went on strike than in any year since 1986. Wow. And this yeah, and this president of the Flight Attendants Union, her name's Sarah Nelson, she seems like she might be the AOC of this new labor insurgency. That's marvelous. But, yeah, but my question today for you, Tom, is we heard what Congressman Pocan thinks, how it's going to play out, but how do you think Trump will respond to this new spending deal, and how should we prepare to react to his response? You know, before Congressman Pocan offered his thoughts on the topic, my assumption was that Trump was going to buy the deal. He was going to take the deal that's been offered and he was going to spin it. And Fox News and right wing hate radio would spin it as a great victory for him. And, you know, that would be the end of it. But what Mark Pocan said that you're referring to here, Jeff, and I'll repeat it real quickly for people who might not have heard. What he said was he thinks that Trump wants to be the star of the show. He wants his name at the front of the news every single day. And so he has to have this constant tension, this constant battle going on between him and the Democrats. And, and he gains some political benefit from that as well. And therefore, Trump will say, uh, you know, OK, I'll go along with this. But, you know, I only want a two week continuing resolution or a, a one month continuing resolution. So so that I can threaten to shut down the government again in a couple of weeks or in another month or so. And that that keeps us distracted from what's going on with the Mueller investigation, what's going on with the Saudis murdering journalists, what's going on with Trump and Netanyahu, what's going on with, you know, all this other stuff that, you know, all these other areas where Trump is, you know, up to his eyeballs and in deep water. And, uh, and you know, the whole Trump crime family thing. Jeff, thank you for the call. That's my take on it. That's what I think is going to happen. In the meantime, don't forget democracy is not a spectator sport. Get out there, get active. Tag, you're it. We'll see you soon. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 